Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me this morning to the book of Exodus, and we are in chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. I will not read every verse in the chapter, but we'll read various verses. I'll start in a moment in verse 13 of the 18th chapter of Exodus. Henry Blackaby is a very popular pastor from Canada. He's retired now, but he wrote 26 books, perhaps the most famous, that book, Experiencing God, that has been read by millions and millions of people. But there's a lesser-known book that he wrote called Spiritual Leadership. And in that book, he talks about some of the characteristics of well-known leaders around the world. Listen to what he said. Most of history's famous leaders have been decidedly ordinary people. Most of them were neither physically impressive nor academically gifted. He goes on to describe some of them. He says, Napoleon stood only five feet six inches tall. Abraham Lincoln was subjected to abundant ridicule because of his irregular features. Harry Truman, describing himself, said that he was blind as a mole and something of a sissy. Winston Churchill's biographer said, this was hardly the stuff of which gladiators are made. And George Marshall, top military commander during World War II, was an average student at best who didn't even bother to apply to West Point. Now, I believe we would look at all of these individuals and agree that these were great leaders. And they remind us of something. Sometimes the best leaders don't even look like leaders on the outside. And of course, the greatest example of this would be Jesus himself. But in our passage this morning, Moses is learning how to become a leader. Now, he's 80 years old, but praise the Lord, it is never too late to learn. It's been about three months since God brought Israel out of Egypt. During that time, it's been one crisis after another. Israel needed water, then Israel needed food, then Israel needed water again. And then we saw last week where Israel was attacked. And all of this time, Moses, yes, he has been their leader. He's been leading them. But when we get to chapter 18, God places someone in Moses' life to teach him what leadership is really about. Now, there's something I want to say before I get into the meat of this message. The Bible has a lot more to say about discipleship than it does about leadership. I say that because there are a lot of people who want to be leaders, but they have not yet learned how to be followers. Following comes before leading. But this passage is indeed about leadership. It doesn't tell us everything the Bible has to say about this subject, but there are some principles here that we can still apply even today in the 21st century. I imagine many, if not most people here today, will be called to lead at some point 
in some area. Maybe you are a leader of a business. Maybe you are a leader of a school, a leader of a committee, or a ministry. You may be a leader of any number of things. Maybe God's called you to be a leader at home, which, by the way, is the most important leadership I imagine any of us will have in this life. But we're going to see some leadership lessons in this passage, and there are four in particular that I want to point out in our text. When it comes to leadership, first of all, there are limitations we must recognize. There are limitations that we must recognize. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but in the beginning of chapter 18, there is a family reunion that takes place. The Bible says back in Exodus chapter 4 that when Moses left for Egypt, he brought his wife Zipporah and his two sons, uh, Gershon and Eliezer, with him, but at some point he sent them back. Now, we don't know why. I imagine it was for security purposes. Maybe Moses got to Egypt and he realized just how fierce the hostility was that he had to face with Pharaoh, and for their safety, he sent them back to Midian. But when we get to chapter 18, they finally have returned. They are finally reunited. His wife and his sons come back to him, and the Bible says that when they do, they brought with them Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Look at verse 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning till until evening. Notice it says, on the next day, the day after that family reunion. Now, I don't think I'm reading into the text here when I point out Moses has not seen his wife and his children for three months. They finally return to him, and what does he do the very next day? He went right back to work, and the Bible says he worked from morning until evening. All day long, he judged the people, he listened to their problems, he handed down rulings, and meanwhile, his father-in-law, Jethro, he just stood back and observed his son-in-law. He just watched Moses. Now, the last time Jethro saw Moses, Moses was tending sheep. Now, he's leading millions you have all these people who are clamoring for his attention. Oh, Jethro must be very impressed with his son-in-law, right? Wrong. Look at verse 14. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? Let me give you the Howard Harden translation of verse 14. Moses, what are you thinking? It's like he's saying, what is going on 
in that head of yours. By the way, praise God for the people who are willing to ask us that question when we need to hear it. I've said many times, the only real friends you have in life are those honest truth tellers, those folks who are willing to come to you and speak the truth in love even when you don't want to hear it and even when it hurts. Jethro comes to Moses at the end of this day and he confronts him. Look at verse 15. Moses tries to defend himself. He gives some kind of an explanation. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Now understand, Moses was doing good work. He was doing important work. We know that the law of God, as we understand it, was handed down in chapter 20, but apparently, somehow, some way, certain parts of God's law had already been received by Moses. And so he was taking that law, those statutes that he had, he was teaching them to the people and say this about Moses, he was not lazy. He was working really hard and on the outside it looked good. He looked so spiritual. All day long his calendar was full, listening to people, judging the people, going from one meeting to the next, to the next, to the next. But what Moses was doing was actually quite destructive. It was killing him on the inside. And Jethro, his father-in-law, was wise enough to recognize it and see right through it. Now, in verse 17, Jethro responds by giving to Moses some of the best advice that one person could ever give to another. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear themselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Jethro said to Moses, you are going to wear yourself out. It's interesting, that Hebrew word, to wear out, it actually is the same word that normally translates to age, to get older. It's kind of like Jethro was saying to Moses, man, you've aged a lot in just three months' time. I bet you could see it in his eyes, on his face. In his posture, Moses was wearing himself out, but it wasn't just Moses. Jethro said, you and the people are wearing out. Moses was wearing himself out physically, but the people were getting worn out having a leader who insisted on doing everything, everything himself. I heard a story of a little church and a little town that was a couple of blocks from the railroad tracks, and every day at 3 p.m., there was this train that would uh, come through town. 
This pastor of this church, over time, he developed the habit about five minutes until he would walk out of the office, walk down the street, and he would stand there and watch every day at 3 p.m. as the train went by. And somebody asked him after a while, they noticed what he was doing. Pastor, why do you go every day at 3 o'clock to stand there and watch a train go by? And the pastor said, I really like to know that there's at least one thing around here that is moving forward that I don't have to push. (laughs) Well, I think every leader has felt that way at some point in their lives. But listen, there are those leaders who feel like they have to push everything, but it's not because they have to. It's because they choose to. It's because they can't imagine that the world might keep spinning if they're not the one doing the spinning. There are people who have what we call a Messiah complex. Sometimes we call it a Superman complex. They feel like they've got to solve every problem that everybody has around them. They feel like they have to carry every burden in the world. But part of leadership is knowing your limits. Jethro said to Moses, you can't do this. It is too big for you. You've got to acknowledge, part of leadership is acknowledging what you can and cannot do, understanding that there are problems you cannot solve. There is time that you can't make. There are gifts that you don't possess. There is training there is knowledge that you have not attained and this is the first lesson Moses needed to understand that we need to understand that yes there are limitations we must recognize but that leads us to the second thing there's a closeness we must pursue there's a closeness it is a closeness with God that we must pursue Because we're going to see here, the problem is not just what Moses was doing. The problem is what Moses was not doing. Look at verse 19. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. Jethro said, Stand before God. That means to stand in a position of prayer, to stand in a position of attentiveness to the Lord, to wait upon the Lord, to seek the Lord. Do you realize what Moses was doing in chapter 18? He spent all day long talking to the people about God. But he didn't spend any time talking to God about the people. Jethro recognized that and said, Moses, you need to do more than just listen to the people, hear their problems, try your best to figure out on your own what the right decision would be. You need to get alone with God. You need to talk to God about their problems to make sure that your decisions are right. And there's this danger that a lot of us have in our lives. It's the danger of filling our lives with so much activity, even good activity, godly activities, 
But we fill our lives with so much activity that we run on empty spiritually. I've noticed there are some people who will drive their car, and when their tank gets exactly half full, they immediately start looking for a place where they can fill up their tank. I'm, I'm curious, how many here would say, yes, pastor, that's what I do. Okay, I see a few hands. Not many. I see a few. I have noticed there are a lot more people who will drive their car, and when it gets to empty, they'll wait till the light comes on. And then when the light comes on, they'll say to themselves, oh, I can still drive a long time. I got 50 miles to go. They wait until they're on fumes before they even think about filling up. Okay, honestly, I'm raising my hand. How many of you do that? Anybody? Okay, most of us. Listen to me carefully. It's one thing if you do that to your car. But it's something else entirely. If you do that to your soul. Some of you are so busy doing so many things, and they may be good things. They may even be things that you are doing for God. But in the process of doing things for God, you're not actually spending time with God. You're not experiencing that intimacy, that closeness with God. Yes, serving God is important, and I believe every Christian, I believe every member ought to have some kind of avenue, some ministry by which they are serving. But serving never takes the place of worshiping. It never takes the place of closeness with God, drawing near to God. And if you're going to be who God wants you to be, and if you're going to be the leader that you can be, there must be those times in your life where you are not available to anyone but God. Because God's got to work in you before he can really work through you. There's a closeness we must pursue. Now, that leads to something else that we see about leadership. Number three, there are qualifications we must meet. When it comes to leadership, there are some qualifications. Now, starting in verse 20, Jethro tells Moses what part of the work he should be doing and what part of the work others should be doing. Look at verse 20. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. In verse 19, Jethro told Moses that he needed to focus on prayer. In verse 20, he told Moses that he needed to focus on teaching the Word of God to the people. We think about these two things, it's kind of interesting. In the New Testament, these are exactly the things that the Bible says that pastors are to do. For example, in Acts chapter 6, the apostles, the first pastors of the very first church, they said, 
we are going to dedicate ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. But Jethro knew that if Moses was going to focus on these two things, he was going to need some people to help him. Moses was going to have to train and develop some other leaders to come alongside of him and to work under him. And so when we get to verse 21, Jethro gives Moses what the qualifications should be for those very first judges in the life of Israel. Verse 25 says that Moses chose them. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 1 as well that Moses implored the people to choose them. Now, Moses, it would appear, had the final say, but I find it very interesting that Moses had the people choose their leaders. And it's amazing when you think about it that this happened 3,400 years ago. But what were the qualifications? What kind of leaders were they supposed to elect? Jethro said, choose able men. Yes, they had to be able. They had to be capable of doing the job. Now, that goes without saying. But I want you to notice something. Jethro is not placing the emphasis on their ability. He's placing the emphasis on their character. Both are important. But character always matters more than ability. I believe that perhaps part of the reason why our nation is in the mess that it's in and why many of our churches are in the mess that they are in is because we have drifted away from this truth. And I know what some folks will say, now, Pastor, um, Israel is not the United States. Well, that's true. The United States is not a theocracy. Okay, yes, that's true. But would we not do well to heed these same principles and apply them in our lives today? Would we not be better off? Jethro said, there are three main things that you are to look for in your leaders. He said, choose leaders who fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Let me talk about that real quick. They must fear God. If a man or woman, in whatever position of leadership they may be in in life, if they really and truly believe that one day they are going to stand before God and give an account for their leadership, you better believe that will affect what they say and what they do. And so Jethro said to Moses, they should fear God. And then he said, men of truth. What does it mean to be men of truth? Well, it means at least two things. It means you tell the truth. I know sometimes it may be hard to tell who's being truthful, but if you see someone who habitually, clearly lies, that is not a man or woman of truth. They tell the truth, but they also stand for the truth. They stand for the truth, no matter what the consequences may be. They stand for the truth even when they're in the minority. They stand for the truth no matter what popular opinion may be. They don't need an opinion poll to tell them what is right or what 
is wrong. They are to fear God. He said they are to be men of truth. And then third, he said they are to hate covetousness. In other words, they not only shun dishonest gain, but they actually hate it. They hate the idea of a bribe or a kickback. They hate the idea of using their position of leadership to promote themselves or to enrich themselves. Now, Jethro gave Moses some advice, so I'm going to give you some advice. And you guys know me. You know I don't normally venture into politics. I stick to Scripture, the Word of God. Uh, But when the Word of God speaks on something, I will address what it says. And so my advice, my counsel to you is, when you vote, take Exodus 18.21 and write it down on a piece of paper. Take it with you into the voting booth. Place it beside your ballot. And then looking at both, vote accordingly. That's my counsel to you. And I believe how better off we would be if we would all get back to this basic truth. I realize nobody is going to perfectly meet these qualifications because we're all sinners. Nobody is perfect. But here's the point. When you're talking about leadership, it's always a mistake to ignore character for the sake of ability. That's true when it comes to political leadership, yes, but that is also true when it comes to spiritual leadership. That is true when it comes to our churches. I can't tell you how many times I've seen where a church desperately needs leaders. They desperately need either a pastor or they desperately need deacons. They desperately need teachers. And they will ignore character for the sake of ability. And every time you see it, they always come to regret it every single time. I want you to notice something else in verse 21. I want you to notice that these qualifications, fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, these qualifications apply to the leaders of thousands, but they also apply to the leaders of hundreds and fifties and tens. In other words, it did not matter how big your leadership was, how many people you had following you, they were to seek these same qualifications in every leader. Now, when it comes to leadership, there are some limitations we must recognize, and there's a a closeness we must pursue. There are qualifications we must seek. But there's one more thing that I want you to notice about leadership, and this is so important for the life and the health of our church. I want you to notice there's work we must share. There's work we must share. Look at verse 22. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you For they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. What Jethro told Moses was simple, and yet it was also brilliant. He said, Moses, you're going to keep on teaching God's law. Keep doing that. 
But he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to teach God's law to these leaders who meet these qualifications, and these leaders are then going to divide the people up into groups of a thousand, groups of a hundred, groups of fifty, and even groups of ten. Think about that. Everybody in Israel belonged to a small group of ten people. And if the leader of ten heard a problem that he could not solve, he took it to the leader of fifty. If the leader of 50 couldn't solve that problem, he referred it to the leader of 100. If he couldn't solve it, he took it to the leader of 1,000. And if the leader of 1,000 couldn't figure it out, that's when it went to Moses. And that way, these leaders took care of the smaller problems. They allowed Moses to deal with the bigger problems. And two things happened. Moses got rest and the people got involved, and everybody was better off because of it. By the way, talking about these small groups, 150, 10 people, we do something similar here in our church. We have these small groups, and we have a name for them. We call it Sunday School. We sure do. And everybody, just like in Exodus 18, should be a part of some kind of small group to whom they're connected and to whom they are accountable. But listen, everybody wins when the work is shared. It's been said that a lot of churches resemble football games. You got 22 people on the field desperately in need of rest and thousands of people in the stands desperately in need of rest of exercise. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, when we think about the work that God has called us to do here at First Baptist Church of Homestead, it's bigger than one person, it's bigger than two or three people. The work that God has called us to do of making disciples of all nations, of all peoples, starting right here in Homestead where we are, this work is bigger than the pastors, it is bigger than the deacons, it requires everyone, all hands on deck. This work that God has given us to do, it must be shared. Part of the reason why God has called me to be your pastor is to equip you so that that work can be shared amongst all the members of the body of Christ. Now, the rest of chapter 18 says that Moses heeded the wise counsel of his father-in-law. He took his recommendations, and it went very well. But this morning, we've been talking about leadership lessons. When we think about leadership, of course, the greatest leader of all, I insist, was Jesus Christ. And when I think about the leadership of Jesus Christ, I can see how these lessons that we've looked at this morning were carried out. Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians 2, though he was God, did not cling to his rights as God. Jesus limited himself when he exchanged heaven's glory for Bethlehem's manger. Though he was God, he limited himself and did not use freely his divine power, his attributes. Jesus always pursued that closeness with his Father, as the Son of God, he was perfect, he was without sin, he met all of the qualifications to be your Savior and mine. 
He fulfilled every prophecy. He obeyed every point of God's law. He then went to the cross and completely satisfied God's law when he died on the cross for you and for me, and he rose again on the third day, having risen What does he do? He takes this great work, we call it the Great Commission, this work of announcing the gospel to the ends of the earth, and he shares that assignment with us, not because he needs us, he can do it without us, but he shares that work so that we can join with him in it. And that is what makes Jesus the greatest leader in human history. There was a missionary, in closing, who worked in Africa with a certain tribe, and he told the story about how the leader of that tribe died, and he did not have an heir. And they had to decide who the new tribal chief would be. And it came down to two people. One of them was a man by the name of Dowsey. And years before, there had been a tiger that made its way into that village, and attacked several people, killing a few people. And as a result, the whole village was just full of fear, not knowing when it would attack again, who would be next. But Dowsey was that one who went out, and he sought out that tiger. He found it, and he killed it. But in the process of doing so, he was seriously injured. In fact, his body bore the marks of that attack. His body was literally covered in scars from his fight with that tiger. And when that tribe was looking for a new leader, it was Dowsey who stood before the people and showed them his scars. And he said to them, by virtue of these scars, I demand the right to be your leader. And when the people saw the scars on his body, they remembered what he had done for them, how he had saved them. And the people cried out, Dowsey is our leader. Dowsey is our leader. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. And even in his resurrection, his body still bears the marks. He still has the scars in his hands and his feet and his side. And one day when we get to heaven, we're going to find out the only man-made things in heaven are the scars upon the body of Jesus. But because Jesus died and because he rose again and because he still bears the marks, he says to you and to me and to this world, by virtue of my scars, demand the right to be your leader. Because he died and rose again, he deserves to be your leader, to be your Savior and your Lord today. Would you join me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for how relevant it is when we see these leadership lessons given by Jethro to Moses thousands of years ago and how they still apply today, how they are still beneficial to us today. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to take what we've seen and what we've learned and to apply them, recognizing that none of us 
are the Messiah. We can't do it all. We have our limitations. That we would pursue that closeness with you every single day. That we would prioritize character over abilities. And that we'd be willing to all share in that work. And God, I thank you that you have given to us the blessing and the privilege of sharing in this work of making the gospel known to the ends of the earth. Father, I pray for those who are here today who have never yet come to that place of letting Jesus be their leader, of being Savior and Lord of their lives. We understand because he died for our sins to save us, because he rose again from the grave, he is Lord and he has the right to be Lord over our lives. We thank you that you loved us enough to send your son and that you're ready and able and willing to save and forgive whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Maybe there's someone here today, God, who needs to take that step and say, I will follow Jesus, the one who died for me, the one who rose again. I will follow him with all that I am and all that I have. Oh, God, we pray that this today would be their day of salvation. And so, God, I pray you'd move in the hearts of those who are here in this room and those who are watching online, listening as well, that there be even one, that this would be that moment, that point of surrender in which they turn away from their sin and call upon Jesus to save them and, yes, to lead them. Thank you, God, for this time we've been able to spend together in your word. And please show us all how this message, how these lessons uniquely apply to us. And we'll give you all the thanks, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.